Hello, Nigel. Hello, Newman. Hello, JKP Gamer. Kaleg. Oh, you guys, I feel like I'm Rant Vesuvius these days. <laughs> rant, oh, planet. I'm Ayn Rant, so to speak. So, yes, we will be having just a little bit, just a little bit of bouncy ranties because I find that as I'm getting older, I'm just getting entirely impatient with the amount of lies that society seems to stuff their face with. There seems to be no, it's like Pac-Man, just wanga, 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 wanga. Uh, oh, by the way, I would like to give you guys an imitation of my OnlyFans channel, or at least a lot of OnlyFans channel. All right, there you go. There's a preview. So, uh, yeah, how you guys doing this evening? Let's do another couple of shout-outs and hellos. Hadian, Sigma Zero, Tony, WP4, Barber, 13 Arbor. Nice to see you. So, nice to see you again. Welcome back. And... Uh, about time. <laughs> Shanking a tar, spinning globe bear. Hey, how is the bear compound going these days? That's uh, something that uh, Owen Benjamin's doing out there. Boy, that's a great way to get on people's radar, isn't it? Bitcoin is now legal tender. And have you noticed? $6,000 up from my show last night. I'm sure it's just a big-ass coincidence. But nonetheless, it's the kind of coincidence that makes me say, yay. <laughs> Hey, Julie, how you doing? Nice to see you again. And uh, how many of you are old enough? How many of you are old enough to remember that the welfare state was put in place so that there would be less income inequality, right? Because, you know, take a little bit from the rich, give to the poor, everyone kind of ends up in the middle class, right? Anybody here, I'm old enough to remember, anybody here old enough to remember when the welfare state was supposed to crush down or at least diminish the excesses of income inequality. It's a great line from King Lear. It's Shakespeare being able to accordion down ideas into their most compressed set of syllables that distribution should undo excess and each man have enough. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just compressed like RAR labs? <laughs> that distribution should undo excess, and each man have enough. Isn't that amazing? Bitcoin up after I took your advice to buy some. Well, I'm not advising anyone to do anything. Just so you know, I'm talking about the upside, but your decision's yours. I'm not giving that kind of advice. Why has society become so paralyzed against risk? I wish they understood the risk of big government. So people are afraid to die because they're afraid to live. People are willing to give up like 2% of their adult lives for a pandemic that if the uh, true numbers of people who actually died from COVID, what, about 6% of the total were actually cal calculated, there'd be almost no pandemic, right? So people are, and, and now more than half of people, more than half of people are anxious about lockdowns ending. They're scared. They've been sitting huddled in their hermit crab shell of a one-bedroom apartment or studio apartment for over a year. And they've lost their social feelers. They've lost their social connections. They've now become like a hermit. And, you know, it's a lot easier to scare the shit out of people than it is to reason the facts back into them. It's a lot easier to scare the shit out of people than it is to reason the facts back into them. People are a lot easier to break than they are to fix, like a bone. It's a lot easier to break a bone than it is to fix a bone. 
Yes, please let's share the video. Absolutely, please share the video. So why are people so paralyzed against risk? Well, not believing in an afterlife has pretty significant effects on human beings and our capacity for courage. I mean, if you think uh, of, of two armies, right, Army A, Army B. Army A is purely secular material atheist. Army B believes that if they die in glory in battle, they'll go to Valhalla, they'll go to heaven, they'll go to some paradise, nirvana, and 72 virgins. Well, which one is going to fight? Well, one of them's going to fight a little smarter, but the other one is certainly going to fight a whole lot harder. Can you please talk about El Salvador adopting Bitcoin? Yeah, I did last night. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And it's going to come out of Central and South America for sure, uh, and possibly out of Eastern Europe. Uh, which Poland is now levying fines of $13.5 million on social media companies that are found to have removed posts for ideological reasons. And they say, hey, man, we spent decades and decades and decades under communism. We know the value of free speech, which we in the West seem to have completely forgotten. So... My cousin is having a panic attack because her boss said the office is opening again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So people, if you take enough calculated risks, then you learn how to manage and balance risk. And this is a father versus mother situation, right? Everybody knows who's had a father and a mother around. Everybody knows how it goes, right? Which is the, the kid says, I want to jump from this wall. I want to jump from this wall. And the mom's like, no, 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 I'll help you down. And the dad's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Be careful. Know your limits. But, you know, there's no better way to learn to know your limits than to go walk right up to the edge, right? That's how you map a continent. You can go right to the edge of the, uh, the water and map it, right? So people haven't grown up with a sense of risk. Go and look at videos or, or not videos. Go and look at photographs of playgrounds 100 years ago. These big giant things went like a story up into the air and you know you could just see kids going bong 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 bouncing all the way down if they fall but you learned how to manage risk. When I grew up you biked very carefully because you didn't have a helmet and uh, you my friends and I were constantly doing crazy dangerous stuff. Sometimes I pushed the limits too long like uh, hiking across a giant 900 feet off the ground train bridge that was easily a quarter of a mile long and then a train coming and almost knocking me into the great beyond but uh, so sometimes you went a little bit too far but uh, for the most part things worked out pretty well when it came to that yeah if cars were invented today the speed limit would be like 20 miles an hour yeah 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 it's um uh, people that don't understand how to manage risk anymore and so people hyper react to risk you know, so risk is like, um, or danger, it's like a virus. And you need to exercise, like your body needs viruses, it needs infections, it needs bacteria to exercise its immune system, which is why I think people are going to get pretty sick when they've been cooped up uh, snorting hand sanitizer for over a year, not exposing themselves to any germs. When they go out and hit germs, I think it's going to hit them back pretty hard. And, you know, growing up in the country, everybody should eat a pound of dirt betwixt grave uh, birth and, and, and death. And... Danger is like that. You need to play with it. You need to mess with it. You need to figure out what your limits are. And we've got the bubble-wrapped, hyper-protective, helicopter-parenting kind of environment these days where kids simply aren't used to experiencing danger. So, you know, when you don't experience germs for a long time, then when you hit germs, 
you're going to get really sick. Your body's going to hyper-react right to it. It's the same thing if you've not grown up managing risk or trying to figure out what is an acceptable level of risk. When you go out into the real world and you hit actual risk danger, you hyper-react. And that's what cancel culture is. This is what deplatforming is. It's like a hysterical immune system overreaction to suddenly being in the presence of something that alarms you when you've never actually learned how to self-soothe in the face of danger, how to figure out how to manage danger and know that you'll be all right on the other side. So let's see here. Are we not allowed to call in anymore? Yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, we can. Get, if you guys want to, we'll get to it. And I do call in shows on Friday nights, but uh, we can do that. So uh, the elementary school playground when I started was already fifty years old and kicked my ass. Then they tore it up and put a lame ass one in. Oh yeah. So I mean, here's a, here's a typical thing, right? So uh, you ever play, you know, softball with your friends? I used to play when I was a teenager. I used to play every week, once or twice. Uh, play softball, and you know what it's like. You've got this, un- in fact, we switched to hardball after a while. Uh, you- you'd launch the ball at the batter, the batter would crack it, and you'd have to have these like cat-like reflexes so you don't get brained by that thing, right? So that's um, just the kind of risk that, that people used to deal with on a regular basis. Uh, I remember being under the exact same bridge that I almost died on <laughs> when I was like 13. I remember that somebody had tied a rope, and you swung out, you swung out. And, of course, you know, being young guys, testing out our muscles, uh, I was probably about the same age, maybe 13 or 14. I I grabbed the rope, and I swung out over the water, and the big test was how many times could you swing? How many times could you swing, right? It was really, really important because it was macho, right? How many times could you swing? And so I did three swings, and the record was three, so I went for a fourth. And if you've ever been in the situation, hit me with a why, if you've ever been in the situation where your muscles just give out. It's like, hey, man, be nice knowing you. Uh, this is not a matter of willpower anymore. We're just giving out. We're just, it's, it's over, man. We're just letting go. It's like you cut a piece of string. It's just done. So I was out on the far arc of my fourth swing, and my muscles were just like, no, nah, we're done. <laughs> You've had that? Yeah, you guys have had that, right? And it's, 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 it's not a matter of willpower anymore. Like you could will yourself to try and get to sleep. And I was like far out. I was probably a good... 15, 20 feet in the air, and I fell, and you feel, oh, it's okay, I'm falling in water, except the water is like yay deep, because it, it, was, it was a really dry summer, and so you just, I just fell on a bunch of rocks, and it hurt like hell, and so I also remember when I was in the Don River, uh, we used to go um, hiking up the river, and we'd climb waterfalls and stuff like that, it was great fun, and I was 12 or 13, I was about 12 years old, and I stepped on something in the Don River, which was a real junk heap back then and I was like oh that kind of stings and I reached down for my foot and my my finger went into my foot because I put a big gash and and a hole in I must have been some blade or piece of glass or whatever it was and uh, I remember being very much brought down because I was I was brave I was fine and uh, I was joking away my mom took me to the emergency and, and they stitched up my foot but yeah they didn't really freeze my foot very well and it was really really painful getting that stitching going in. I think it must have been some kind of minor sadist surgeon because I know you could freeze to the point where it's okay because I had a, uh, um, I tripped while holding some, I tripped over a dishwasher. You have to do that trip over a dishwasher. Somebody leaves it out and you don't notice it because you're carrying a bunch of plates. I tripped and fell and got a cut here. They stitched it up. Oh no, out here on the outside. And if they stitched it up, it was totally fine. So yeah, you just, you just learn how to, how to manage your risks. I went parachuting. I went skydiving and really, really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, although, man, it was beautiful when we jumped out of the plane 
we were above the clouds. The sun was setting. I did it in winter because it was super cheap to do it in winter because you freeze your ass off, right? And I remember hanging there. You know, you can pull either side to turn yourself. And I watched the sunset like the, like the cover of a Mormon Tabernacle Choir album. I watched the sunset from like over 2,500 feet or however high up I was and uh, parachuted down, parachuted down. Just, you know, avoid the trees, avoid the power lines. You're good to go. And I remember when I jumped out of the plane, <laughs> when I jumped out of the plane, my whole body shrunk up like I'm going to die because you never fall that long without dying, like as you're a kid, right? And then when the parachute opened and they tied me to it so it wasn't even up to me, and you, you float down really gracefully, really pretty. And then when I actually hit the snow, which is actually not a bad way to land when you're learning, right? You hit the snow. I, I was dragged along for quite a while because it was really windy. I was dragged along the snow uh, from some farmer's field, I think. And I'm, I remember gathering up. I, I was in high school still, so I was 16 or 17, probably 17. And I gathered up my parachute and I've never in my life felt that exhausted because I guess I just had an adrenaline dump of the gods. And um, it was just crazy. Now, of course, when I worked up north, as I talked about the other night, when I worked up north, you, you really have to manage your risk because you're working with a lot of dangerous heavy machinery, but you're also two days from hospital at best. And uh, you get an injury out there, you're toast, man, because you've you got to radio in, they've got to get a plane, they've got to fuel it, they've got to fly it out, they've got to pick you up, they've got to take you back, they've got to get you to the hospital. It's, you're doomed. if you. So working with a lot of heavy machinery, when you really are in the ass end of nowhere, uh, you really, really do have to learn to manage your risk. So, you know, when it came time to talking about dangerous ideas on the internet, um, well, I already had some experience managing risk, which is why I managed to pull it off in full flight for 15 years or so. It's pretty good, I thought, pretty good. So yeah, people, um, they're not being exposed to the necessary levels of risk that allow them to judge things in their possible, in their proper perspective. Now, because people have not had regular exposure to significant risk when they're younger, then they cannot emotionally assess the risk of COVID, right? They cannot emotionally assess the risk of COVID, which is, you know, if you're not overweight, if you're not elderly, if you don't have two to three comorbidities, well, odds are you're completely and totally fine. Odds are you're, look, it's the same thing when Jaws came out when I was a kid, Jaws, the movie Jaws came out. And, you know, you're, you're far more in danger driving to the beach than you are swimming in the ocean from a shark. But it's so vivid, and it imprints itself on you so thoroughly that people have completely lost their capacity to rationally assess risk and tell themselves, yeah, it's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. And this is because we put, you know, women are much more attuned to risk, much more sensitive to risk, because when somebody gets injured, it's generally the women who would take care of them and so on. And if a man's wife dies and he's a good provider, he can get another wife. If a woman's husband dies and he's a good provider, she's kind of doomed, right? If he doesn't have a whole bunch of insurance. And so they're much more concerned about risk and failure. And also women generally were in charge of women from like zero to seven years old, where children are basically death magnets, toddlers are death magnets. So you've got to be hypervigilant around that level of danger. And then it's supposed to transition more to the men of the tribe or of the village to teach the kids the hunting, the fighting, the farming, whatever it is that's going to be more dangerous. So uh, because we put women in charge of children from zero to 22, you know, college and all that, uh, we just don't have um, risk assessment. We just don't have, I remember um, 
being in a wrestling class. <laughs> well, this, yeah, this is kind of funny, right? Um, so when I was in, in high school in Don Mills, Don Mills Collegiate, in fact, junior high. I was in junior high, and they divided the gym into two sections, right? One was the boys doing their wrestling, and the other were the girls doing their dance, right? And you could see, sort of see a little bit. You could see the girls dancing. They'd leave a little sort of bit open. Um, I won't talk about them leaving it a crack open because it could be misinterpreted. But when you wrestle, you know, things, flying elbows, flying knees, you can get a bloody nose. You can, you can get cracked up fairly, fairly good, even though you're not supposed to. It's just the way it rolls, right? And I remember um, uh, taking a, a, a flying knee to the, to the teeth, right? And, like, it really felt wobbly. It really felt bad. And these were my adult teeth by this point, I think. I still have my wisdom teeth. I'm one of, like, one in a thousand people in their 50s who still have their wisdom teeth. But um, I took one of these cracks to the face. And I remember there's a Scottish, you know, like, literally, like, the, the guy out of The Simpsons who rips his shirt off or whatever. You're fine. You're fine. And he's, like, breathing this, like, tobacco whiskey breath in my face. It's like, well, you're... If I wasn't fine, if I wasn't significant pain, at least I'd pass out from your breath and wake up feeling better. Ah, you're fine. Go sit over there. So I would go. I sit, went and sat on the bleachers, and I could watch some of the girls dancing, right? And, of course, one of the girls stumbled. You know, she stumbled and fell while she was dancing. <laughs> and, of course, the nurse and all the others, oh, are you okay? Was like, you're fine. Go sit over there, you disposable male. <laughs> Whereas the girl's like, I stumbled. And, oh, are you okay? <laughs> I mean, the number of articles I'm reading about how women are just women are suffering unbearably over the course of the pandemic. They're so stressed. They're so you know, men are dying more, but you know, women are upset. So that's what really matters. All right, should we get to our? Uh, yeah, we go. Let me just see here. Yeah, yeah. You love that feeling. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What does it mean? To live life in a world with an industrial robotic car wash while next door people are still making tacos at Taco Bell. <laughs> well, we have, uh, we have a problem, right? We have a pro I tried to talk about this problem, but uh, the powers that be didn't want to give me a platform. And the problem is simply this. Uh, IQ is going down to a large degree because, well, two major factors, right? Mass immigration from lower IQ cultures and Single mothers, right? Single mothers tend to have IQs in the low 90s, and IQ is significantly heritable, particularly on the maternal side. So we have a population that's getting dumber, and we have, you know, brilliant engineers in, in China, in America, in Japan that are making these incredible robots that are replacing low-skilled labor, right? So I'm sure you know this, but uh, the U.S. Army won't take anybody with an IQ of, like, 83 or less. They just won't. And they've been trying this because the IQ was invented in the First World War to separate people going from the front lines from people who were going to the back. Sorry, it was first implemented. I think it was a, a child psychologist who, Piaget, who first came up with this intelligence test to try and identify talented poor children and give them access to better education. But it was primarily used in the First World War to separate the officers from the soldiers to make sure you weren't throwing your high IQ brains into the withering blast of machine gun fire because this is the pattern of civilization up to now is you get, you know, free markets, a productive environment, and then you get a whole bunch of people who aren't so smart having a whole lot of kids, and then society gets more and more challenging to run and more and more difficult, more and more volatile, and then you have a war, and you put all the dumb people in the front lines, and that's the great culling. I hate it. I think it's awful, but this, you know, description of what's, what's going on. So, yeah, we have um, 
a growing population, of course, of people who have IQs um, at least a standard deviation below the wide average of 100, sort of 85 or less. I mean, frankly, there's no place for them in, in most of the modern economy, and it's really, really tough to figure out. The army, you know, the army's not so complicated for people, for a lot of people, right? You know, the old two rules in the army, right? Number one, uh, if it moves, move it. Number two, if it doesn't move, paint it. And uh, there's no amount of training that you can pour into somebody with an IQ of 83 or below that justifies, that, that's productive in terms of things that they can do. You just can't. And one of the reasons America lost in Vietnam was they radically lowered the IQ requirements under McNamara. They actually were called McNamara's morons. They lowered the IQ requirements for people getting into the army, and they would regularly, you know, they thought it was a real funny joke to pull the pin off a grenade and roll it into a tent to make everyone scared and then blew people up. They forgot passwords. They shot people who gave the right passwords because they didn't remember, uh, and it was just a terrible example of what happens when you lower your intelligence standards and then give people a lot of weaponry. Uh, it just is a complete breakdown in uh, and the drug addiction, of course. Uh, with lower IQ, has a tougher time handling stress, more likely to turn to substance abuse and so on. So it's brutal. And of course, nobody wants to talk about it. There are solutions, but uh, nobody wants to even talk about the problem uh, and all of that. So what can you do? What can you do? Uh, well, you can lead a horse to water, right? <laughs> Can't make a drink. All right, let's see here. New CDC guidelines exclude COVID cases for vaccinated people. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, well, indirect risk as well. Direct risk and indirect risk. So uh, the seen versus the unseen, right? It, it is really, uh, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty aware of the evils of the state, but... I think, tell me, hit me with a why if you were a little bit surprised at how easy our basic human rights were taken from us. Like how they just evaporated like this big mirage you walk towards and poof, it's gone. You know, no debate, no de legislation, no counter, no, like they're just boom, you can't leave your home. Uh, the businesses are shut down. You can't have a job. You can't socialize. You can't gather together. You can't protest. You can't. I mean, post about about anything that goes against a particular narrative. W were you surprised? I'm pretty cynical with regards to the state. I thought there'd be a, a little bit more of a, I don't want to say pushback, but a little bit more of a, well, there's got to be some kind of due process for all this stuff. Like here in Ontario, they've now extended the emergency orders to December. December. It's going to be close to two years. Like, holy crap. Holy crap. I mean, so, yeah, there's, there's no debate because the debate would be, okay, um, so we can expect some COVID deaths, and let's look at the indirect deaths that are going to be caused by the lockdowns. You, you all know these things, right? People, we've lost more children to suicide than COVID, and a lot of that suicidality has to do with being trapped at home with abusive parents, not even having the release of getting to school or going to friends' houses. Because, you know, if you grew up with abuse like I did, you spend a lot of time hanging out at your friends' houses because you don't want to go home. And you're just trapped at home. And, and maybe when your mom or your dad or both the abusive people would go to work, you'd get some sort of peace of mind and all that. But you're really trapped now. Everyone's stuck in the same boat. And if you have a pedophile in the house, a child rapist, a child molester, uh, you can't even beg for sleepovers to get a night off and a half-decent night's sleep or anything. So, yeah, a lot of suicidality coming out of child abuse households. Um, uh, people who can't get 
surgery to relieve chronic pain are turning to opiates, getting addicted, and there's been a lot of overdoses. Of course, the opioid epidemic in the U.S. is what killing more people in one year than Vietnam did in 10. So people not getting screenings for, for cancer and, and other illnesses, uh, people overeating, becoming overweight. The average millennial has gained more than 40 pounds over the last year. Uh, people's eyesight's getting screwed up by constant screen uh, time because they're not really going outside. People not getting exercise, not getting to the gym, not getting out, not getting vitamin D, not getting outside, right? So you would look at all of these indirect costs. Stress kills. Loneliness kills. Like if you're over 50 and you're lonely, that's like smoking, literally, that's like smoking a pack of cigarettes. It's worse than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, if I remember rightly. So yeah, you would look at all the indirect costs, you try and balance things out, and you'd say, okay, well, what about the fiscal hole we're going to dig ourselves in? What about the destruction of people's lives? And should the government determine what your fucking risk tolerance is? Should the government tell you what you can and cannot risk? I say, fuck off, no. Fuck no. You can't tell me what I can or cannot risk. That's my choice to make based upon my rational assessment of the situation. But, uh, of course, governments have stepped in and said, well, you're not allowed to have this risk at all. And, you know, the, the, the true purpose of, of medical licensing bodies is really showing up because there's lots of people skeptical about this particular lockdown stuff. And, you know, a friend, a friend of mine who's a doctor was telling me the other day that uh, there's a lot of people skeptical about this stuff and uh, skeptical about some of the cost-benefit analysis of the vaccines, like... There are some risks to taking the vaccines. Are the risks more or less than the possibility of getting COVID or, or getting sick from COVID or significantly sick from COVID, losing your sense and taste, becoming a, uh, losing your sense of smell, becoming a long hauler, cognitive issues, and so on? I don't know. It's complicated. But what's happening is the doctors who are saying to patients, as they're supposed to according to the Nuremberg Code, right, which is if you're involved in a medical experiment, you're supposed to be bloody well told that you're involved in a medical experiment, you're in a trial. You're supposed to tell people that, and you're not supposed to coerce them, of course, into, because this happened under the Nazis, right? They experimented uh, with various people, uh, and they also did this in America. They injected uh, syphilis into blacks to figure out how the path of the disease went and so on. And he's saying, look, uh, so doctors who are trying to follow the Nuremberg Code are getting threatened with, like, license suspension. So the whole purpose of all of these licensing board now is just to inform compliance. So, yeah, we don't have the capacity to process indirect risk um, because it's an IQ thing, right? It's like the government spends $5 million to create 100 jobs, and everyone's like, yay, we have 100 more jobs. You know, they don't sit there and say, okay, well, what about the 200 jobs that weren't created because the money was taxed out of the economy, which would, would have been sustainable and would be satisfying some particular need in society. All right. Uh... Please do the rest of the show in that Scottish accent. Hey, laddie! Absolutely. I did a whole play once where I played a Scottish guy, so this is really going back into the day, right? It's going back into the day. All right. What have we got here? What is the email specifically? Oh, call in at operation. Sorry. Call in at freedomain.com. Call in at freedomain.com. Can you talk about the philosophy of having kids or creating life? Why, yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I can. Because this goes back to some of my, uh, boy, isn't it? You know, I, I don't like to take any kind of pleasure. <laughs> tamp down the smile, tamp down the smile. I don't like to take any kind of pleasure uh, 
in my enemy's downfall. But boy, did you guys hear about Chrissy Teigen? Did you hear about Chrissy Teigen? This is John, is it John Legends? She's a, was she a model? Swimsuit model? Something like that? I can't figure out why some of these uh, people are uh, famous at all. I have no idea. I have no idea why. But uh, yeah, Chrissy Teigen, uh, what, she just lose like $15 million because uh, some old tweets emerged of her bullying a, um, I want to make sure I get the name right. So yeah, she's been having a, a, cook, a cookbook, I think has been canceled. Some of her other stuff has been, oh yeah. So she was accused of bullying a 16 year old TV personality and telling them, I can't wait for you to die. So for those of you joining us from the Middle East, 16 year old is considered a child, right? So she is accused of bullying 16-year-old TV personality and telling them, I can't wait for you to die. So the woman is uh, Courtney Stodden, a former reality TV star modeled. Uh, he, she gave an interview with the Daily Beast. And um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. She wouldn't just publicly tweet. This is what the child, the child, age 16. This is what she says. The child, Stodden, and said about... Chrissy Teigen, she wouldn't just publicly tweet about wanting me to take a dirt nap, but would privately direct message me and tell me to kill myself. Things like, I can't wait for you to die. And of course, in the true cry bully fashion, uh, Chrissy Teigen uh, said that everyone's just so mean. You know, everyone's just a bully on, on Twitter. Everyone's a bully on Twitter. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just completely horrendous. Uh, it is, of course, just completely horrendous. Uh, and Chrissy Teigen took a whole bunch of swipes at me back in the day. And, um, yeah. And so, and one of the ones, of course, some of the stuff I got in trouble for was uh, promoting having kids. Promoting having kids. You know, one of the things that I've done that's kind of invisible, but it's really, I'm really proud of, not just the charity and all of that stuff that I do, but um, it's the fact that me being pro-natalist, probably... Um, Ooh, let's see here. I would say at least half a million new babies because of what I've been talking about. And new babies to smart people who listen to philosophy and, and all of that. Not to mention the millions of children who are having better experiences because of my focus on peaceful parenting and my efficacy of all of that and talking about my joys of, of being a parent and all of that. But I would get into these Twitter battles, you know, basically saying to women, like being the old guy telling women the way that the world works which is all of that excess attention uh, that you get and free resources you get because you're young and hot, uh, that's all going after 40. Like that, that's, that's drying up like uh, Lance Hendrickson's corpse left out in the desert sun for a day or two, right? It's just right out, right out the window. And reminding women of this, because, you know, what happens is that women pass 40 and then they complain that they're invisible to society. And, and it's understandable. You, you know, when I was 18, nobody should have given me $5 million dollars. And when women are 18, nobody should give them that level of attention, right? Controlling the men's resource hurling at fertile women used to be a big function of society. It's been really displaced by propaganda, Marxism, and the welfare state. And so I would remind women that if you want to have kids, and actually I started my novel. You should check out this novel of mine. It's available as an audiobook. fdrurl.com slash tgoa for the God of Atheists. fdrurl.com forward slash TGOA. Uh, I started off this novel 
which is this woman, she does this calculation in her head, right? Where she says, okay, okay, uh, when I have kids, let's say I want to have two kids. Um, okay, I'm in my late 20s. I want to have two kids. I, I don't even have a boyfriend at the moment. So what do I do? Um, okay, so let's say it's going to take me six to 12 months to meet the guy, and then we've got a date for a year or two, and then we've got to get married. Then we might want to wait for a year or two to figure out how we're going to live and, and whether he's a stable provider and learn how to adjust to living together and getting along. And so, you know, a year to meet, that puts me at uh, 30. And then a year or two of dating, let's say, puts me at 32. And then a year or two of being married puts me at 33, 34. I'm starting to want to have two kids. And what if I want three starting at 34? It takes longer to get pregnant at 34 because by the time you're 30, 90% of your eggs are dead. And just doing that calculation. That's, I mean, I started, this is like long before I became any kind of public intellectual. I was sort of very aware of these kinds of things because I care about women and want them to be happy and everybody else seems to just want to placate women and end up with them being miserable because of some passive-aggressive screw-you to an abusive mom, I would assume. But um, yeah, you, you got to remind women of this kind of stuff so they stop screwing around and settle down and don't end up with a half decade, right? Because 40 to 90 women live like they're undead these days, like the elderly Japanese ladies, they can't be killed with sunlight or steaks. And that's, that's a lot, that's a long, 40 to 90 is a hell of a long time to be lonely. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a long time. And there's no rewind. You know, if you're a guy and you screw up your 20s, you can just buckle down and work like hell in your 30s and make up for lost time. Hell, you could even do it in your 40s if you want to. But man, you're a woman and you're 40 and that fertility window was gone, man. There's no rewind. There's no rewind. Nobody knows how to fix the egg thing. Oh, you can freeze your eggs. Well, it's kind of cyborg. It's kind of weird, kind of odd. And often it doesn't work. Often it doesn't work. So, and, you know, one out of 10 couples now has significant fertility issues, partly because we're marrying so much later. So people say, they, when I talk about having kids, right, there's one or two responses, right? So one is... Um, well, one of, well, there's three. One is it's not your business. And it's like, no, 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 ladies, you voted for socialism. It is my business. Sorry. Like when you've got your little lacquered, manicured hands in my pocket, it's my business. And if you don't have kids, it means you're going to come after me and my kids for tax money when you get old and need resources. You need care. You need shelter. You need somebody to go with you to the doctor's appointments and all of that. Yes, if you don't have kids, you're going to come to me now. If we lived in a purely free market society, I'd get my head out of your business and you could have kids or not. But because you all want free stuff, you want your pensions, you want your free health care, and you're not willing to make some taxpayers to pay for it, that means there's more burden on my children and my grandchildren. So saying it's none of your business, it's like, as long as my wallet is your business, your eggs are my business. Sorry, that's just the way it works. And the number of women who vote for all this free shit and then don't even squat and make some babies to pay for it, oh my vampiric gods from hell, are they ever succubi draining your last vein, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. If you want socialism, at least make the people who pay for it when you get older. <laughs> but no, no, I want free stuff, but I don't want to make the people who've got to pay for it, so I'm just going to pillage yours and jam my suction rod of infinite fiat currency hoovering down your wallet jugular. It's horrible. It's absolutely uh, horrible. Selfish. Selfish beyond words. So, yeah, no, this, this idea, well, it's got, stay out of my business. <laughs> get out of my wallet, I'll get out of your business. But as long as you're in my wallet, your loins are my business. 
it's not a choice I made. I don't want the damn socialism, but you all voted for it. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to remind you that with free stuff, somebody has to pay for it. And if you're not going to make those babies, well, you know what it means. If the women don't want to have the babies, it's a big excuse for mass importation, mass immigration. And um, they're just going to pillage my kids. Like, No, it's not my fault. So the other thing they say is, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a great life. I remember one woman was like, I'm going I'm to get, get a PhD. I'm going to bang my husband. I'm going to travel. I'm going to learn Japanese and watercoloring and blah, 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 right? All this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> oh, so, so you're just going to have a wonderful, great, amazing, fantastic, lovely life. Which you can only have because your parents chose to have you. So the great glory and gift of your hyper-glad existence, you're just not going to pay for it. So if people are really happy and they won't have kids, they're taking a three billion year inheritance from the first single-celled organisms all the way down to you, and they're just refusing to pay it forward. Why? Because it might interfere with them learning Japanese calligraphy or some shit like that. It's like, that's so unbelievably selfish. That's as selfish as, you know, this wealth has been in our family for 10 generations, but you're going to blow it on hookers and blow. It's like, it's kind of selfish, right? Because you should be handing that down to your kids. So whereas if people say, well, I'm really unhappy, it's like, okay, well, maybe you're unhappy because you don't have something larger than yourself to live for. And that's the big secret of the modern world, that everybody thinks that happiness means no sacrifice. And I get it. They get it. It comes out of atheism. It comes out of Darwinianism. It comes out of hedonism. And it comes out of objectivism and selfishness and all that, the, the virtue of selfishness. But Ayn Rand was depressed for like the last 40 years of her life. I mean, it's rumors she had an abortion. She never had any kids. And she was like, after Atlas Shrugged in 1957, she lived to what, like 1982 or something like that. I mean, that's a hell of a long time. That's 40 plus years. And she, I, I believe, because she was addicted to amphetamines, right? She was addicted to speed and nicotine, of course. And she was just miserable because she, of course, fled. I talk about it, this. I got a three-part series on Ayn Rand. It's going to be fourth, but never got around to the fourth. Uh, you can find it. If you want to find my stuff, find my stuff. FDR Podcasts, free from Free Domain Radio, back when the radio was there. FDRpodcasts.com. And there's a search function there. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And the videos are down below where, where, they, uh, where they were rescued, right? So Ayn Rand, when she pushed the 13-year odyssey of Atlas Shrugged, which is the novel she wrote after The Fountainhead, which took her five years to write. So 13 years to write Atlas Shrugged, she pushed it out into the world, and the response was horrendous, because she, of course, fled the horrors of communist Russia, and then when she put out Atlas Shrugged, which is a hymn to capitalism, she realized just how many communists had infiltrated everywhere around her, which is why McCarthy was much more right than even he knew. And I can't tell you how much I roll my eyes like a slot machine when some supposed conservative talks about McCarthyism. Like, oh my God, can you just drop the propaganda? <laughs> McCarthy with Nixon were totally right. In fact, they were much more right than they knew, much more right than they suspected. So Ayn Rand was miserable. Now, I think if she'd had kids, then she'd had something larger than herself to live for and something that was going to outlast her. They say, ah, oh, well, her books outlasted her. Yeah, they did. But then again, she didn't write any fiction for the last 40-plus years of her life. And uh, even Dashiell Hammett said, hey, when's Atlas going to shrug again? All that, right? So, yeah, if you're unhappy, maybe you're unhappy because you're selfish and not having anything larger than yourself to live for. You need to have things other than yourself to live for. 
you, you just, I mean, sorry, you just do. I know that's not an argument, but you need to have a shape for your life because of the hedonism treadmill. The hedonism treadmill is, you all know this, right? You get some fantastic news and you're happy for a day, a week, maybe two weeks max, and then you're just back to your normal state. You're just back to your normal state. Oh, I won the lottery. Yay. And back to your normal state, right? In fact, it might be even worse because now you don't have any excuses for unhappiness. The only reliable method for achieving happiness is to have a cause that is larger than you that will outlast you. That cause could be children. It could be a business. It could be a book. It could be a philosophy show. It could be any number of things. You need to have a cause or a purpose or a drive or a goal that is larger than your own immediate physical needs that is going to outlast you. Because there's a, a movie, Shadowlands, with Anthony Hopkins and uh, oh, that woman, she's always dying of cancer in movies, Deborah Winger. And he plays an academic. It's not a spoiler. It's a good movie to watch, though. It's one of the last movies I ever watched with my mom. But Anthony Hopkins plays an academic. And he's working away in his robes with another academic. And he just looks at the other academic and says, don't you? Don't you ever just get struck by the complete futility of all this? And the other academic looks a little startled and says, yes, of course. Of course. Futility. The hedonistic treadmill is the law of diminishing returns for tickling your dopamine receptors. Law of diminishing returns. You need to take on a giant task that you never decelerate your happiness and the achievement of. Right? So, oh, I'm going to have a lot of girls. I'm going to date a lot of girls. I'm going to whatever, right? Make a lot of money. Okay, well, you can date a lot of girls. They're all going to start to look the same and they're all going to start resenting you and eventually going to feel bad because you're breaking women's hearts and turning them into feminists and destroying your culture. So that's not going to make you feel very happy now, is it, in the long run? Oh, I made a lot of money. Okay, well, you can make a lot of money. You can travel around. If you don't have anyone to enjoy your money with, it really doesn't mean that much now, does it? really doesn't mean that much if you don't have someone you love who loves you to enjoy your money with. Otherwise, you're just, I'm traveling <laughs> and looking at everybody else, sitting at tables, talking, and I'm not, uh, it's, it's depressing. It's depressing. Uh, I'm going to get in great shape. I'm going to, okay, well, time's going to take that away. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger hasn't taken his shirt off in 15 years, right? Time's going to take that away. And this narcissism of I'm ripped, you know, I mean, okay, so you're ripped. Still going to die, and your bodies are going to like your muscles are all going to vanish. Your bones will stay, I suppose, but your muscles are all going to vanish, and they're going to be pumped out the ass end of a fly <laughs> at some end, some point after you die. And you just have to have something larger than yourself that you're willing to devote yourself to. For me, family, fatherhood, philosophy, all of the F's and PHs, family, fatherhood, and philosophy. Uh, that's my, I thought it was going to be art and, and creativity from that standpoint, but that's not where the gods pointed me. Uh, the world needs one more philosopher, not one more novelist. But although I am a great novelist, I will say that for sure. Freedomain.com forward slash almost to check out my free book. Um, so you just, now, if you say, oh, what if I can't have kids? Okay, well, then you can devote yourself to something larger than yourself. Maybe improving the environment, maybe improving the quality of parenting, maybe talking about economics so people understand them, maybe helping people with some whatever knowledge you've accumulated, maybe becoming a big brother, maybe you can go and teach entrepreneurial skills to inner city Something, something that's bigger than you that will outlast you, something that benefits the world as a whole. 
Now, if there's a moral element too, and you get to serve and further the interests of virtue, while simultaneously, and these are two sides of the same coin, harming and interfering with the progress of evil, that's about as good as you're ever going to get. That's about as good as ever you're going to get. So, yeah, it's very sad. It's very sad. All right. What do we got here? Can you give your thoughts on the child-free movement? It's a bunch of millennials who seem to hate the idea of having children. Well, that's because their childhoods were horrible. I mean, if you're... It's like if, if you were incarcerated in a prison for 20 years and tortured, would you want to run a prison? Would you want to go build a prison? Would you want to create a, a prison that would do exactly the same thing? No, they grew up with terrible childhoods. They grew up with absent, distracted, hyper-working, workaholic parents. And, you know, I, you know when I was uh, early on in the business world, there's a guy I was working with. And he just had two kids. Now, I was a young single guy. I loved the business travel. I just loved it. I got to stay at... $400 a night hotels. Uh, I got to fly, sometimes even first class. It was nice, man. I got to fly to Paris. I got to fly to, to all over the U.S. I got to fly to China to, to do business. Uh, it was a pretty good <laughs> it was a pretty good thing all around. And because I was a young single guy, it was great. Now, this guy had two little kids at home. And we would sometimes, because we were a, a team working to sell. He was more on the sales side. I was more on the technical side. He had two little kids at home, and he was gone sometimes two, three weeks a month, as I was, but again, it was fun for me. And it was brutal, man. I mean, it was brutal on his parenting, and I was like, why would you want that? Why would you want that? And that's why, you know, I, I thank the audience, and I praise you guys enormously, and, and I, 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 I'm so unbelievably thankful to, to this audience, to the people who are watching, to the people who are listening, and I'll tell you why. Because you human deities, through your generosity, has, have given me the opportunity to be home with my daughter and raise her directly. As opposed to, if I hadn't done this gig, I would have been out there working six, 60 hours a week in the software field and traveling all the time and uh, missing out. You know, everyone says, oh, childhood, you know, it goes by so fast. It's like, well, yeah, every movie goes by fast if you only watch one out of ten frames, right? It's like fast forward. So that's why I thank you guys so much. You have given me the opportunity not just to do good in the world by focusing on philosophy, but you've given me the opportunity to be home with the coolest person that I know, uh, my daughter, who is very funny and very warm and very caustic because, you know, she's entering the teenage phase and all of that. So, oh, man, it's uh, – I thank you guys enormously. You've given me the greatest gift that a human being could – possibly receive and i just hope that i'm doing you proud with what it is that i'm doing and if i'm not please tell me how i can do it better so um yeah so they were the, the millennials were dumped in daycare they had absolutely shitty schools they had distracted and distant parents uh, they were introduced to horrible pornography very early on in life so they can't get bonus or uh, perform sexually it's it's really uh, why would you want to recreate that now of course what they're doing is they're taking the template of their parents and saying that's all that's available all that's possible but that's just not uh, not the case yeah, you can you can change you can change the way the things are you can change the way things are put together all right I'm uh, sorry there was another question here uh, you know, maybe we'll just keep chatting it's very nice uh, sorry I don't know why I can't scroll up here why can I not scroll up uh, let's see here Oh, yeah. Sorry. I went all the way to the top. That's why I can't scroll up. Let's see here. Do you hear that Sheila Elizabeth Warren 
Wants the Fed to control crypto? Well, of course she does. Of course you, of course you do. Of course you do. Novelists are philosophers. Yeah, there certainly is. I mean, certainly the greatest novelists to me have a lot of philosophy, like Dostoevsky and so on, for sure. All right, what have we got here? Did she do the night of January 16th? Uh, it's a play. Oh, it's a really, it's a brilliant play. Uh, I've never see, seen this conceit used in the theater before or since. So uh, it's a play, it's a trial, and the jury is picked from the audience. And depending on how the jury votes on the trial, innocent or guilty, the play has a different ending. And I actually got to see it at the Stratford Festival many years ago. It was very, very good. There's a surprising amount of comedy in Ayn Rand's work, but you have to kind of keep your eye peeled for it. All right. What do we got here? What will happen to all the childless and demented elderly in the future when the government runs out of money? Well, I... To ask that question is to answer it, right? To ask that question is to answer it. How can you commit yourself to philosophy if you're not honest about the economy? Hmm. I don't know who that's referred to. Can you discuss the game theory behind South American countries accepting Bitcoin? Will the U.S. allow this? Um... Well, the U.S. is going to put a lot of bribery and pressure on the South American politicians uh, to, to not Central and South American politicians. So I, I just very brief on this because I talked about it uh, last night in my emergency surprise Bitcoin show. But the South American countries, they know that the U.S. dollar is the coin of colonialism. And so they're very, very keen on escaping the orbit of the U.S. dollar. And... The U.S. dollar used to be a good bribery mechanism until people are looking. I mean, the people in South America, Central America, the politicians, and a lot of the people at the top, very smart. So they're looking at the M1 money supply. They're looking at the massive amount of money printing, and they're saying, well, there's not going to be much bribery value left in the American dollar, so I want to get on the Bitcoin bandwagon, which actually turns them into populists rather than, in a sense, economic shadows or slaved cast by the U.S. dollar hegemony. So it's going to be uh, uh, pretty wild. It's going to be pretty, pretty wild. Sorry, if you don't progress your bloodline, you failed. Not sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so listen, I, um, I was saying this to, to somebody the other day, privately. Um, if you inherit a lot of money, it's kind of not yours, if that makes sense. So for something to be yours, you have to create it yourself directly, right? So I mean, I write novels. I write, I've written like 10 or 11 nonfiction books you can get them all for free except for the art of the argument the art of the argument.com do i have a copy yet i keep forgetting to. <laughs> the art of the argument a great great book you should go go look at the reviews the reviews are fantastic except for a couple of anal people uh who are syllogistically sil <laughs> challenged but it's a book just tells you how to convince people how to debate i mean you've all seen my debates pretty good right so the art of the argument you can get it at the art of the argument.com and uh that's the one you can get it on audible as well but, uh, yeah, I would recommend. I, I read it, of course, as, as the audiobook. So, uh, yeah, I've written uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And, and so the books that I've created, the, the, the words that I say, they're mine. But I did not earn blue eyes. I did not earn a round head. I did not earn being relatively tall. I did not. I've done something to earn decent health. But, you know, some of it's genetic as well. But I didn't earn my brain. I didn't earn my brain. Now, I've got some responsibility for the use I put to it and so on. But to me, if you have inherited, and this is what I mean, like 
Ability is obligation. Ability is obligation. Ability is obligation. If you have inherited, and I, I'm pretty positive that most of the people listening to this, most of the people watching this, y'all are very smart, very verbal, like to debate, rational thinkers. And that's somewhat you have developed that and somewhat that's native to, to, to your genetics. And so if you've inherited a whole bunch of money, it's not really yours. If you earn it from scratch, yes, okay, but if you inherit. So I have inherited a pretty remarkable brain, a pretty remarkable ability to synthesize and create allegories and to debate and to argue and to reason and to write. Because uh, I was doing it, I wrote my first short story when I was six years old, or my first novel when I was 11 years old. I've written 40 plays. I've written half a dozen novels. I've written 12 nonfiction uh, books and working on my 13th, I guess. So I view my brain as collective property to, to some degree. I view my brain as collective property. So if you imagine, let's take a silly example, right? So if you imagine you have the capacity, you can touch people and cure them of some fell disease, some horrible illness, right? Well, you didn't earn that, and it provides a huge benefit to the world. It's not a massive cost to you. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to spend the rest of your life never sleeping and touching everyone in sight because you want to aim for the long haul and take care of yourself as well. But if you have this power, this capacity, this ability, I, I mean, I'm just telling you the way I think of it. This is not some big objective case. I think there could be a case to be made for it. But it's it's a, I view my brain as a common good of mankind, if this makes any sense. I view my brain as a common good of mankind, and therefore, because I didn't earn it, I have a responsibility to use it in the fashion which best serves the world and peace and peace and reason between nations and, and races and genders and, and all of this kind of stuff. I view it as something I didn't earn, and because I didn't earn it, the benefit should accrue to the world and not just to me. Like I could use my brain as I was in the past to some degree. I could just use my brain to start companies, make money, and so on. But I really felt a very strong obligation to use the brain that I have, the communications abilities that I have, to try and spread as much philosophy in the world as humanly possible. And that is a kind of collective responsibility. I don't view my brain as just mine. doesn't mean you can get a part of it with a fork, but I don't view my brain as just mine. Again, you know, if you, if you meet some guy, he's like, uh, I'm worth $5 million. And he's like 20. You say, wow, how did you get that? I inherited it. <laughs> my, my father gave me $5 million. You'd be like, okay, well, I guess you've got $5 million. You didn't really earn it. Now, it doesn't mean it's not your property. It doesn't mean, I, I'm not talking about violations of property rights. I'm simply talking about, for me, it's just a sense of personal obligation. If you inherit $5 million, it is your obligation to a large degree to find some way to add value to society. You can't just, I mean, you could, of course, just buy a yacht and tattoos and hookers and blow and all of that kind of stuff. But it's incredibly selfish consumption of resources that were very hard to gather, very hard to gather. When I think about the dangers that my ancestors faced and survived to deliver to me this brain, then for me, it's like, oh, no, I got replatformed. It's like, okay, well, yes, but my ancestors were running from the Nazis on one side, and my mom was, was running from the communists uh, when she was a kid and, and being chased down, and God knows what was done to her in that village she was telling me about, right? So my ancestor, William Molyneux, best friends with John Locke, was, had his ass chased all over Ireland by the king's men because he had a philosophical argument the king didn't like. 
and they were facing arrest and having their heads stuck on a pike, for God's sake. So, yeah, running from communists, running from Nazis, running from the monarchy, uh, just trying to find a way to survive. Um, that's what they did to hand to me this brain. Is it just mine? No, not, not really. It is something that people sacrifice to give to me, and I'm a UPB kind of guy, universally preferable behavior. So if a huge amount of sacrifice occurred to deliver something to me, then should I not also take some reasonable levels of sacrifice to deliver value to others? And that's really what I've been up to. But when you have that sense of obligation, the humility that comes from your abilities are not just yours. You know, like, I own my liver, but I didn't earn my liver. <laughs> you know, like, I own my teeth. I didn't earn, I guess I earned my teeth a little bit by keeping them clean or whatever. But 99% of what you have you didn't earn and create in and of yourself. Like your entire, I didn't earn my eyes, my capacity to hear. It's all just evolution and all that kind of stuff. So when you have that humility of saying, okay, I've been handed these incredible gifts from history, from evolution, from the past, from you know thousands, millions, hundreds of years, billions of years, I've been handed these incredible gifts. If it's just you, solipsistically, it's just you and your pleasures and, and what you like and what you want and what you feel like doing today, then you are diminishing this incredible baton race from the single-celled organisms all the way down to you, you're absolutely diminishing all of the sacrifice and hunger and fear and brutality that, that people experienced just to hand you with shaking bloody hands this incredible gift of existence, and you should try to maximize the truth and virtue in, in the world as, as a whole. I mean, how many people had to die so that you and I could have this conversation in the fading remnants of free speech, like how many people had to die? Millions. Millions of people had to die. I'll tell you a funny story. Not about me. So here's a funny story. Hit me with the why if you know why a couple of million years ago apes learned how to process alcohol. Does anybody know? Does anybody know? Hit me with a Y if you know. Sorry, I'm just scrolling down here. You don't know? Milshaw knows. Julie doesn't know. No. No, you don't know why. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, a couple of million years ago in Africa, the hominids, the apes or whatever, bonobos or whatever the hell we were back then, a couple of million years ago, there was a massive food shortage and the apes that were able to eat the fermented, like half-rotted-on-the-ground fruit without dying. In other words, they were able to process the alcohol. Those who had the random gene mutation that allowed them to create, uh, to, to process alcohol, those apes were able to access the calories of the half-rotted, half-fermented fruit and therefore had a food source that the other apes didn't have and therefore were able to travel and hunt and avoid predators and pursue prey and all of that better. And so this is one of the fundamental reasons why human beings as a whole have the capacity to process alcohol. And um, th there's an argument, it's a pretty good argument too, which says that the reason why we developed agriculture wasn't for food, but for wheat and barley and hops and all the stuff that you need for beer. And beer, of course, was a food, uh, a drink, sorry, beer was a drink that people really liked because water was kind of dangerous. You know, you, you don't know if somebody had boiled the water, but you know that fermentation is going to kill off the bacteria that's in water. And so you're going to actually have a drink. It was a great source of fuel. I remember reading uh, in my master's degree 
while I used to just sit in the library, pick out random books and read. And there was a guy in the 19th century in England who was like, ah, I work unloading barges and I really don't want to drink alcohol anymore. I don't want to drink beer. I've tried switching to milk. I just don't have any energy. Beer is the only thing that gives me the energy to get this job done and uh, all of that. So I just thought this kind of a <laughs> kind of interesting, right? Just kind of interesting. Uh, who's being snarky? Oh, yeah. Somebody said, how do you deal with somebody who's being passive aggressive without becoming a bastard? Yeah, so passive-aggressive people are really angry, but they can't express it directly. So what they do is they provoke anger in you and then play the victim and then blow back, feeling justified in their anger. They're very strangled and inhibited in their capacity to express anger. So they will be very provocative and, and angry. And there was, I think, one call in Joe where I completely fell for the bait. And I don't know if that one was ever released. But there was one call in Joe where I completely fell, fell, fell to the bait and, and, and lost it on a, on a caller. But um, so, so how do you deal with a passive-aggressive person uh, in your life? Just with honesty, right? Just with honesty, right? So when, when someone calls me, and you've probably heard me do this if you listen to Call and Show, somebody will call me up, and that person will say, you know, oh, I really want to fix my life. I'm really depressed. I'm... I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I don't feel like I've got any future. I don't have a girlfriend, uh, TFW, no GF, right? And, and then I'll sort of get passionate and energetic about what they could do or what's holding them back, and they're just continually just talking like this and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, you've heard me say this. I'm like, look, I'm not going to have more passion about your life than you are. It's your life. And so if you've called me up to tell me you have a problem, and then you just cock block every single solution that I can come up with or any kind of enthusiasm. If I'm the only one enthusiastic about fixing your life, I've got other people lined up from here to eternity who want to have a call on this show. And I, I'm not mad at them. It's just that's just basic fact. Like, don't call me up. Tell me that you're desperate for help and then not engage at all in the conversation. That's very passive aggressive. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to transfer, not consciously, but they're trying to transfer their helplessness to me. So they call me up desperate, and then they want me to feel as helpless as they do because their helplessness needs to spread to universalize in order to not feel uh, solvable, to not be fixed, right? The, the helplessness has become like a demon that sits in their chest that doesn't want to be exercised, that doesn't want to be fixed. The demon, like negative states of mind are, to me, they're like living organisms. They, they want to survive. They want to flourish. And the only way they can do that is to normalize that. Oh, everyone's helpless. Look, you think you're helpless. You called up this philosopher guy, and even he was helpless. And you, helplessness is the state of life. It's the existential condition. Helpless, right? And that way, they can't be dislodged. They can't be fixed. They're all demon with no priest in the vicinity, no James Woods doing comedies in the vicinity, right? So, um, so in terms of that, um, just say, you're, you're really making me angry. Like, you're, you're making me angry. And that doesn't mean that you are the cause of my anger, but what you're doing is making me angry. And again, you can the real-time relationships is the book to read on this, right? Which is you just tell people you're on a state of mind, but you don't blame them for your state of mind, right? So say, so, you know, this conversation is really, I'm, it may not be you, I'm just telling you straight up, this conversation is really making me angry. And I don't know why. It could be because of this, it could be how are you feeling, right? And, and all of that, just be honest, right? Now, of course, if they can't be fixed, um, you, you, it's a huge and desperate waste of life to, to be constantly poked and prodded by somebody with no emotional 
expression skills so that you get to Geppetto-like act out their emotions. It's a terrible and horrible waste of your life, and I wouldn't recommend spending much time around those people if they can't change. Steph and I are both descendants of William the Conqueror. We're at least 0.00005% related. Basically family. Hey, you guys are all my family. What are you talking about? You guys are all my family. Don't fail the world. Yeah, very true. Very true. All right. Yeah, you guys got some of that? Fermented fruits? Yes, indeed. Uh, well, no, so... I'm the Egyptians that created it. Jim, écoute, it's what we say in my family when somebody doesn't listen. Écoute, French for lesson, right? So there's a way of synthesizing alcohol that you can do, right? But I'm talking about why did the apes develop the genetics? And it's one of the big problems as well that that happened. So Europeans, of course, have lived with alcohol for thousands of years, and it's become an essential part of the diet. You know, George Washington only got elected because he handed out free alcohol to people and got his votes that way and um when the europeans came to north america the indigenous population of north america and i assume central and south america too but north america for sure the indigenous population didn't lack the enzymes to process alcohol which is one of the reasons why you know fire water and the, the traditional indian native indian who gets drunk that sort of cliche there's some truth in it. I lived in downtown Toronto. You'd have to step over the natives who were passed out in doorways from the alcohol. And so it wasn't just the smallpox that the Europeans brought, and it wasn't just the syphilis, of course, that the natives gave to the Europeans, but the indigenous population of North America <coughs> just, just doesn't have much capacity because to, to synthesize and process alcohol, which is a poison, right? If you can break it down biologically, you can expel it eventually, but if you can't, you just kind of stay drunk and it wrecks you top to bottom, so... All right. What do we got here? Beer is liquid bread. Yeah, it kind of is, right? Kind of is. Can you imagine if the same social pressures being applied to people to get the jab had been used to tackle obesity in America? So here's a funny, here's a funny thought. It's probably pure nonsense, but it's something that, that sort of popped into my head. I'm almost like a blank slate kind of guy. So does diabetes serve any evolutionary purpose? Does diabetes serve any evolutionary purpose? I think it kind of does, because I'm thinking about if you were in a hunter-gatherer farmer society, you need to do a lot of hard work, right? A lot of hard work. Now, if you're obese, you can't hunt, you can't fight to defend the tribe, and you can't really do a whole bunch of farming because your knees are going to give out, your back's going to give out, and all of that. So I just kind of wonder that if people get too fat, is it to the betterment of the tribe that they die from diabetes? Because in a sense, they've become people who consume without the ability to produce, and therefore it's a net negative to the tribe. In other words, I bet you there were tribes where obese people didn't develop diabetes, but then those tribes got wiped out because the tribes where the obese people did develop diabetes ended up with more resources for everyone else because the, older, the, the obese people kind of died. So yeah, it's just kind of interesting to me. Uh, it's not any kind of advocacy. It's simply a blank examination of how this may have uh, developed over time. I always find this. I find this stuff quite fascinating myself. But beer metabolizes into acetyl aldehyde, which slices you up inside like tiny samurai swords. Yeah, I was just reading that. Like no amount of alcohol is good for you, and I don't drink much at all. A couple of beers a week, but I've just switched to dealcoholized beer. I like the taste, but I don't really care about the alcohol. That was light beer guy anyway. So. Yeah, that jab thing, I've occasionally fell into it, but uh, oof. what have we got here? 
lot of tough talk. A man of honor speaks to a man's face, not behind his back. That's what coward to do. Say something to me, R-S-T-F-U, coward. What is it? Can you guys explain this to me? <laughs> what is it with Hollywood and this tough guy voice? Tough guy voice. <laughs> what is it? Do you have to be a tough guy? Like, do you just have to have screamed at people like a sergeant major or, or smoked a thousand camels before breakfast? Like, what is it with this tough guy voice that people who just don't really have a voice, it's just the way they talk is just so tough. I <laughs> Clear your throat and use your voice like a big person. <laughs> I don't know why it's got to be this... Uh, this way, maybe there's some cliche that's been going on, but it, it really it bothers me to listen for a while. People who don't use their whole voice, who just have this kind of weird, broken up, tough guy voice. And maybe it comes out of Brando or, I don't know, Alec Baldwin or something. But uh, yeah, that, I, I can't watch movies or, or listen to, to movies about, about any of this. So. Steph, do you think the economy could restart somewhat now that the red states are ending unemployment? Yeah, well, it's going to be, there's going to be some, some comeback, but it's not going to be like it was. There is no, there's not going to be any, there's no rewind. There's no pre-COVID as in the future. There's no pre-COVID. Steph, you said in an old show that passive-aggressive people provoking others the feelings they can't accept in themselves and then reject them. Yeah, so the, you, you, if you're feeling something that you can't accept within yourself, you will project it on to other people and then control them as a way of controlling your own feelings and also punishing them for the feelings that they have that mirror your feelings in the way that you want to punish yourself for having those feelings. Like, it's, it's absolute doom in this or any other life to say to yourself, to any part of myself, you are evil, bad, and unacceptable. Like that, that is a, a, a complete recipe for self-schism and joining the mob and cancel culture and hostility and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, like all the people who, who canceled me for calling me a racist and stuff like that, I mean, they're, they're racist. They're complete racist. And, and, and they're the ones who are the racists. I know this is kind of a boring thing to say. And, you know, Dem's the real racist and all that. But, yeah, they're the real racists because they only really attack white people. So, and they only really put down white people. And so, yeah, they're the real racists. And so when I say things that they imagine are racist, they take their racist self, project it onto me, and get rid of me. It's a scapegoat, right? Like the scapegoat was the goat that all of the sins of the tribe would be poured into psychologically in some weird religious ritual, and then they would drive that goat out into the desert and think themselves free of sin, right? It's really uh, very primitive stuff. Um, we have uh, 21st century technology and 14th century theology running it, which is an insult to theology back then as well. So. All right. The natives gave the European syphilis. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And one well, the natives gave the European smoking, which killed more people than smallpox did. So, although it's more of a choice, of course, right? So... Uh, let's see here. Yeah, whites, yeah, two million whites were enslaved by Muslims. Yeah, two million. Only 400,000 black slaves were bought from the black slave traders in Africa and brought to America. The Muslim slave trade was 20 times larger and went on for 15 centuries. So, or 14th century. So, yeah, a Muslim slave trade, way bigger. And of course, as you know, the Muslims who took the blacks from Africa, the reason why there's not a big black population in the Middle East is because they castrated them. And 90% of the slaves, the male slaves died in that process. So it was unbelievably savage and brutal. But the you know, good friends in the Middle East are not particularly prone to pathological white guilt. And so you can't bang that vending machine and get resources. Let's see here. Tough guys can't sing. <laughs> That's right. It's like everybody's become, everybody's become, uh, oh gosh, uh, what's that guy? Uh, it was a video game guy. 
Duke Nukem. Steph, how many times did you talk your way out of a fight? I was, yeah, gosh, it's funny. It's a topic that just came up the other day. I've never thrown a punch, nor been, uh, no, I've been punched by a couple of people. One family member, I mean, other than my parents. And I was punched once in the woods. I was, I was 11. A friend of mine and I were walking through the woods and 17-year-old guys in my high school kept us there, made us build a fire. And, and they, um, uh, they were slapping my friend. And it was just so gross because, you know, we were little 11-year-old kids and there was like 17-year-old adults. And I just said to the guy, why don't you pick on someone your own size, you coward? And he turned and he just punched me hard in the solar plexus. And I went down and I've never regretted it <laughs> to this day. It was a perfect thing to say. I was very happy to say it. No problem with it whatsoever. Um, but no, see, I don't... When you're a happy, confident, positive person you tend not to get picked on. And I've never, I, I'm trying to, maybe I'll remember something later, but honestly, nothing is popping into my mind where I've been in a situation where somebody is really trying to pick a fight with me. Because I'm positive, I'm friendly, I'm making jokes. You know, I would usually, when I was younger, have a great looking girl on my arm and I was a good dancer and I, you know, like just a positive ray of energy and people tend to sort of shy away from that stuff. So I cannot think of a time, to be honest, that I've had to talk my way out of a fight. The one time that a guy did want to beat me up, uh, I was 12, and I was playing defend in the local bowling alley just behind the Don Mills Mall, and he wanted to play it, and he unplugged the machine, although I was doing well, and then plugged it back in so he could play it, and I called him a jerkwad or something like that. And I didn't hit him or push him, but I guess he told his brother, his older brother, who was a big scary guy, like, you know, five years older than me. He was like 16 or 17 again, right? And this guy, I still remember his name to this day, uh, he, he would say, uh, he, he would, you're dead, man. You, 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 you kicked my brother or you hit my brother. You're dead. I'm going to kill you, right? And I just avoided the guy. I mean, there was no talking to the guy. He was obviously completely deranged and probably on drugs as well because it's really deranged thinking. And the only time I was walking up the stairs in the junior high school and he just punched me hard on the arm. Going to get you. And I just avoided the guy. It didn't actually hurt that much. I mean, I was scared. Don't get me wrong because, you know, uh, who wants to mess with this? No, like one punch. You know, that I always remember there's a story of a, uh, a photographer. Marlon Brando punched the photographer taking his picture. And the camera, I think, went into his jaw and his teeth. And the guy spent, like, he said, I, I spent years in the dentist's trying to fix the damage down to my jaw and my teeth, and they never could get it right. I was in constant pain. Like, boom, one punch. And you, the bridge of your nose can go into your brain. You can lose an eye. You can get a crack in the jaw. You can, uh, you can lose a tooth or several teeth. Uh, like you can get brain damage. You can trip backwards and, fall, and bang your head against a, a wall or, or the edge of a counter. Or you can fall down a flight of stairs. Like physical violence is perfectly fine. The last resort of self-defense, absolutely. But, I mean, yeah, not being in a fight is a very, <laughs> it's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. And, yeah, so, I mean, I can't think of a time where I've ever talked, had to talk myself out of a fight. I don't go to those dive bars. I don't, I don't even know parking lots. Like, where do you go to even get into situations where people are going are gonna to fight you? So, but if you're sort of positive and confident and a, and a happy and energetic person, the bad people will stay away for the most part, and the good people won't want to fight you because they enjoy your company. So, all right, what have we got here? Follow up a question on having kids. How does a parent answer a kid's question? Why did you have me? Why would a kid be asking that question? 
Um, if you, so this is a little bit from my book. The only thing that matters, the, the most, if you don't have this, you've got nothing else as a parent. If you don't have this, if your child genuinely and deeply understands how much you enjoy his or her company, 99% of your job as a parent is done. Let me say this again. It's really important. If your child genuinely understands how much you enjoy his or her company, boom, 90%, 95% of your job as a parent is done. If your child is hesitant or doubtful about that, you know, my daughter would never ask, why did you have me? Because I so much enjoy her company. You know, when she says, she just said um, uh, tonight, uh, she said, hey, let's go for brunch tomorrow, right? I'm like, absolutely, that would be great. I'd love to go to brunch, right? Uh, because just, you know, her and I time, we get to sort of catch up or there's a park not too far from where we live. And um, it wasn't last night because I was doing a show, but night before last, she's like, let's go to the park. And it was like, nine o'clock at night and uh we stayed there till like 10 30 we threw some um you know these airplanes little um made of polystyrene that you can just, fl they just fly around we did kind of cool flights around that we sat on the swings for like 40 minutes just chatting and and then we did follow the leader and some physical tests uh, climbing around various things and all of that and it was just a really a, a great and then it rained for a little while which was kind of fun and and it was just like a great little hour and a half and yeah i'd do that every night if i could right or you know so when it comes to, if your child genuinely understands how much you enjoy her company or enjoy his company, she's never going to ask you, why did you have me? You know, it's like, it's like asking a kid, why do you like candy? <laughs> you know, so I don't think you'll, if, if your kid genuinely understands how much you enjoy the company, they're not going to ask you that question. Uh, I thought all human beings are racist to an extent. Well, evolution works on in-group preference for biology, right, for genetics, so... My husband says he doesn't like how I act like a tough guy. Sorry, I don't roll over and take it in the... <laughs> uh, let's see. Have you ever thought of making an analysis of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Citizen Kane? No, but I will tell you this, that I, um, I will probably do an hour or two on Bioshock because uh, somebody recommended it. I, I played it many, many years ago, not the whole thing, just an hour or two. I didn't find it too compelling, but somebody recommended it, and I bought it and looked at the first couple of minutes. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's stuff here, man. There's some pretty deep, deep stuff here. So, uh, Let's see here. Bitcoin has gone up about 2% since this stream started. That's right. That's right. In a call-in, you told me I was angry with my father, so succeeding would be like proving him right. Sorry, I don't have enough context for that. Steph Nukem forever. Gosh, was it some years ago I did a whole Duke Nukem thing that was an Easter egg on one of my videos. Um, Red Casket, good name, says, Stefan, I have listened to you for hours on end in the past. Love your work. You have improved my life and my children's lives. That is all. Mm. Thank you very much. Steph, I don't recall ever hearing your take on the Palestine Jewish issue. Well, I don't understand why they're not enjoying their enriched multiculturalism out in the Middle East. <laughs> uh, is there an episode I could check out? Yeah, yeah the truth about Israel and Palestine. Uh, I've got a whole, whole video on that. Well, let's see here. Uh -oh. Beat up my bullies. Few of them really helped my self-esteem in high school. 
Yeah, but see, I didn't really have any bullies outside the home, right? I didn't, I didn't really have any bullies. Again, there was that one guy, but there's no way at the age of 11 or 12 that I'm going to beat up some 17-year-old or 16-year-old. Like, it's just not going to happen. So the only thing that you can do, right, and, and yeah, everybody goes through these scenarios, right? So when you're much smaller, and I remember, so I was like 90 pounds at, at that time in my life, and this guy was, you know, a solid 180, right? So when somebody is twice your size... The only thing that you can do is you can get an implement, right? You can get a stick, you can get a bat, and you can just crack someone, or you can push them down the stairs, whatever. Like, I'm not, don't do any of this. I'm just saying that this is all you can do when there's such a massive size difference. And the problem is that that's pretty random as to how much damage you can do, which is bad. And the other thing, too, is that if you escalate. See, it's one thing if, if you're in, in, I don't know, some bar in some town you're visiting and you get into some fracas or whatever, okay, you get, but you've got to go back to school day after day after day. That person has to go back to school day after day after day, right? So if you do something that really damages another kid, or in this case, a young man, well, now they're gunning for you, right? And they're much bigger than you, and they will catch you at some point. And then what, right? You don't have the element of surprise. You don't have the batch. You don't have the stairs handy. Just not going to work out. It's just not going to work out. So, all right. I don't mind. if you. I mean, if, if the bully is bullying you and you, you beat him up, um, I'm, it's perfect self-defense, no problem, right? But I'm just saying that for me, uh, the bullies were all, it was never somebody my size. It was never somebody my age at all. So... I disagree. You need to have the ability to defend yourselves and others if need be. Why? Why do you need that? I don't understand that. Why do you need that? Why don't you just move to a nice neighborhood? Why don't you uh, just develop skills of, of staying away from bad people or talking your way out of trouble if you have to be? Why not verbal jujitsu? Why don't you pour your mind, heart, and energy into making a lot of money and then you can hire a bodyguard if you want, you know, and every time... Mark Zuckerberg goes jogging like 20 security guards go with him, right? So this idea that you need to have the ability, you need to have the ability to pull out your own teeth if you have to, is like, why? Why not just make a bunch of money and go to a dentist if you have to, right? Or why not just practice oral hygiene so you keep your teeth, right? So, I don't know. It's all, you know, all the time that you're going to spend uh, learning all of these martial arts techniques and so on. Just do not get into street fights, for God's sakes. Do not get into street fights. You don't know what kind of psycho you're dealing with. It might be someone who uh, is so insane, they're going to start stalking you. They're going to take out a hit on you in the dark web or something like that. Like, just don't get involved in these uh, situations, right? My jaw still pops and I have tinnitus from getting beat up seven years ago. Oh man, I'm sorry. But yeah, that's another thing too. This is the Steve Martin thing, right? Blow to the head. Uh, I have a bit of tinnitus in this ear, I think from being uh, beat up as a kid. Uh, it actually only started in my late 40s. But yeah, another thing too, Steve Martin, I think on the set of Three Amigos, a gun went off too close to his head and he had just one of the reasons he switched to music is that the tinnitus is really bad. And yeah, tinnitus is, a, is kind of a big, uh, a big deal. I wish there was something you could do <laughs> about it other than you just got to ignore it, right? Just got to ignore that little banshee in the brain, right? Uh, let's see here. Your daughter does seem like a most delightful person. Yeah, she is a, she is a blast. She is a blast. I do miss the movie reviews and stuff you did. Yeah. I, 
I haven't uh, I haven't seen anything particularly interesting lately. I haven't watched a lot of stuff lately. Um, I did watch a little bit of uh, Queen's Gambit, which is basically a zombie movie with chess, because that really, really slow, pause, blank-faced, oh, my God. Bioshock Infinite was pretty anti-American. Yeah, it could be. Uh, do you think this anti-white rhetoric will lead to white genocide? Well, it's certainly not designed to lead to peace and harmony between the races, for sure. So it's going to particularly, uh, it's going to escalate. Steph, do you think it's true that physically attractive people lean conservative politically? Uh, it's, so it's not just physically attractive. Certainly, it seems to be the case that physically attractive women tend to be more conservative. And they know this, which is why uh, they promote ugliness among women. Ugliness among women, physical ugliness among women, leads to dependence on the state. Because if you're, you know, a fat, tattooed, pierced, blue-haired woman, then you're going to get far more resources from the government than you will from the dating market. Because you will only be able to get a low-quality man who probably won't commit to you anyway. And so if they, when they promote female ugliness, they are promoting dependence upon the state. And the only way that female ugliness is possible is because of the welfare system as a whole, right? And so a woman could not afford to make herself a shave head, all of this stuff where they try to make women as unappealing as possible, particularly white women, of course. Uh, All of that has to do with uh, making sure that women end up voting for big government because they can't get a successful man to support them and and take care of them if they want to have kids or, or whatever it is, right? So so for attractive women, and they know this, because single women vote for the left and married women vote for the right, because single women want more money from the government, so they want rigor government, but married women whose husbands work, they want more money for their family. So for single women, voting big government is more money for, their, for them, but for married women, voting small government is more money for them, because one's on the tax receiving end and the other's on the tax paying end. And so if government, if the welfare state ended tomorrow, then they'd wash the blue right out of their hair, they'd lose weight, you know, because there wouldn't be this free resource that they didn't have to look attractive for and uh, all of that. So now what is the case, though, is that, and this is one of the reasons I try to promote exercise, particularly uh, weights, is that men who have uh, good upper body strength lean small government and conservative. Uh, And so that is another reason why uh, closing the gyms is pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I hope you all are working out at home. There's stuff you can do uh, pretty pretty cheaply. I mean, you can just pick up a pair of 25-pound barbells and you can get quite a bit of exercise in. But uh, so uh, for, for physically attractive men, see, here's the problem, right? So physically attractive men sometimes go for the welfare state. And do you know why? The reason why physically attractive men are pro-welfare state is that it means that there's a fairly limitless supply of loose women who will try to capture them with sex, right? And so if you are a physically attractive man and there's no welfare state, then women will pair up and pair bond and you won't get your pick of this endless conveyor belt of vajayjays, right? And so physically attractive men, yeah, physically attractive women trying to bag a good man, uh, they lean a little bit more towards the, um, uh, the right. So Let's see here. I had bullies. It sucked. I was the smallest kid ever. Got my ass kicked a million times. Was too afraid to literally kill them to use weapons. Well, see, that's, that's, that's a fair point. You don't want that on your conscience. So 
Uh, I broke my hand on the big kid's forehead. We became friends after. Why were you so happy and positive with such a bitch of a mom? I've had people try and start fights with me much of my life. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> You'd think I'd have an answer for that off the top of my head, but why was I so happy and positive? Well, so I kind of... I always, I always kind of knew, but not to the point of taking it for granted. I hope this isn't too personal, but I always kind of knew things were going to work out for me. I've always had that belief. I'm just going to land on my feet. Things are going to just work out for me. And, you know, the same forces that got me replatformed also drove up the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, even Stephen, right? Things just generally kind of work out. And when I was in my teens, I was like, I can't wait to get out of, and remember, I was paying my own bills from the age of 15 onwards. It took in roommates, had three jobs and all that. So I had a lot more independence than most of the kids my age. And I was just looking forward to being an adult and, and getting out into the world and, and leaving all of this shitstorm of a childhood behind and you know because I still had the belief that I was in an asylum and I would break out into a sane world <laughs> funny story it's just a bigger asylum but I didn't know that I didn't know that back then and thank heavens I didn't know it I would have lost some of my motivation but I always had the sense that good things were coming I always had the sense that that I was going to be able to achieve something that I was going to be able to use my gifts in a way that would really help the world and that I was always going to find some way to land on my feet, and I mean, I have. I absolutely, I mean, I have a wonderful wife, I have a wonderful daughter, I have great friends, I have a meaningful job uh, that I do, and, you know, I have the support and, and generosity of wonderful people such as yourself, and, you know, life really, for me, uh, in society, the West, I get it, right? But for me, couldn't be much better. I mean, honestly, it couldn't be much better. And uh, that's a, it's a great gift. I mean, there's some work, there's some luck, but uh, I couldn't, uh, what, what can I ask for that, that I don't have? You know, oh, Father's Day coming, my wife says, Father's Day is coming, what do you want? I'm like, I, <laughs> honestly, I don't, I want to age better than Sinet O'Connor, I suppose. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't want, uh, what do I want? I don't, there's nothing, right? There's, what do I need? What do I want? I have, uh, I have a glorious life. I have a, a fantastic life and uh, I'm again just so unbelievably grateful to everyone for sticking through with it and all of that so I break down analysis of Pink Floyd's The Wall mm, yes well uh, um, Roger Waters' dad was a communist and you understand that the the opposite of communist historically is fascist right so you get too much communism uh, which is left extremism, you get fascism, which is traditionally considered right extremism. And so the wall is him flirting with fascism to uh, respond to his father's communism. Toward what end do you fight back? My chess mind could never see an end game. Well, that's because we're not going to live to see it, right? So we're not going to live to see the free society that we want. In fact, we're going to live to see our rights diminished over time, and it'll probably take a couple of hundred years at best for us to get the society that we want. All right, let's see here. 
Even professional fighters say never get into a fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've seen some of these videos. What was it? Some football guys picked on some little guys. The little guys turned out to be MMA champs and just beat the crap out of them. It's like, no, don't. God, it's just not worth it. You get legal issues. You've got medical issues. You get sued. I mean, oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, thanks. Yeah, fighting someone is a bad idea. What if their friend has a knife or a gun? Yeah, that's right. Or what if they have some crazy big brother? They're going to sick on you, right? So. If you train any martial arts, you know how a kick of a, or a punch can be dangerous. A good kick can set anyone back to factory settings. <laughs> I guess so. Tinnitus, my dad, uses lip flavonoid. Says it helps some. What does that mean, lip flavonoid? Is that, a, is that your rap name? <laughs> What does lip flavor flav lip flavonoid? What the hell is that? Uh, let me make a note of this. I'm sure I'll look it up later, but mine's not too bad. But uh, all right. Who is your current best friend? Oh, it's my wife, of course. Uh, let's see here. Steph, you are the best. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> Uh, Telegram voice chat. We've been going an hour of 40. Does being an ugly woman help you get a man that likes you for your virtues, though? Well, no, it depends what you mean by ugly, right? So there was a woman when I was in university, had a face half like an orc. Like, I'm not kidding, but she had a lovely figure. And so you, you can't blame somebody at all for their facial structures. But if the woman is is presenting herself willfully as unpleasant to look at, if the woman has a lot of tattoos and weird piercings and blue hair and is obese and so on, then she is broadcasting her lack of self-care. She is broadcasting her low self-esteem. She's, she's getting men to reject her so that she doesn't get rejected by men, right? She's not even putting herself out there. And also, obesity in women, just my personal opinion, right? It's just my personal opinion and experience. Obesity in women, a lot of times in young women, has to do with the fact that they've been sexually abused, their body has been used to torture them, and they want to keep men away from them sexually, and therefore they present themselves as unattractive as possible. That's my first thought when I see that kind of stuff. All right, let's see here. If your brain is inherited as communal, then do you owe some care to the family of origin that created that brain? Sure, I think so. I think so, and I have cared for my family of origin as much as humanly possible. And the way that I have cared for my mother in particular is I provoke bad behavior. She can't handle power. She can't handle power. Um, and so because I'm her son and she will always have power over me, when I'm around, it's not personal to me, but when I'm around, she does bad things. She becomes abusive. She becomes intolerant. She becomes unpleasant. She becomes bossy. She becomes abrasive and, and abusive. And so because I will forever be her son and she will forever have power over me because of our first 15 years together, you can't just – I can't undo that any more than I can undo knowing English, right? So if you have a mother who's an alcoholic, you have to stop buying her drinks. You have to stop enabling that behavior, Right. If you being around your mother makes her a worse alcoholic, then you should not be around your mother, right? For whatever reason, right? And so my mother does bad things when she's in my presence. And so for me, not to be in her presence is actually an act of great love towards her. Or at least it, it, it takes the temptation of the abuse of power away from her, and she behaves better when she's around people she doesn't have power over. I know that because, you know, you, you have a 
crazy abusive moms, right? Then the phone rings, they can be screaming at you, abuse and all this kind of stuff. And the phone is like, hi, hi. <laughs> Maybe it's some guy that they met or whatever, right? And so seeing that kind of switch, when she's around me because she has power over me and she can't handle power, she abuses that power. So it is an actual act of love for me to not be in her environment, which generally provokes her to worse behavior that harms her conscience. So. All right. Uh, maybe a positive outcome came from your Irish aunt. Yeah, that's very true. It could be very, very true. could be very true. Sinod O'Connor, the nun. No, she's not a nun. She, didn't she switch to Islam? Is that right? Let's see here. He wants a Lamborghini with diamond-encrusted headlights. See, I don't... <laughs> I, I, I don't hate cars. I don't hate cars. I didn't own a car until I was in my 30s, though, mid-30s. But, um, oh, maybe early 30s. I had to get a car for work and pick up clients at the airport and stuff. And it had to be a nice car. I got a car allowed, so it wasn't too bad. I had a 98 Volvo S70. A nice red car. But, man, that thing did not last. Holy crap. By the, like, within a couple of years, there were, like, 11 things wrong with it. Like, one of the door locks didn't work, the radio button, the radio antenna had broken off, and the seats didn't move properly, and it just didn't, it was a bit of a lemon, but a fun car to drive, for sure, it had a great, it had a great turbo, and it also, like, when you gunned it, it sounded like a box full of angry bees over your head, it really was pretty, pretty wild car. But here's the thing with the car thing, it's like, I got a Lamborghini, okay, what's the speed limit? Uh, 100 kilometers an hour. Okay, so unless you're on the autobahn getting younger through the blue shift effect of hitting close to C, I don't really see what the point is of all these high-performance cars, and I'm already happily married, so I don't use it for ladies, so anyway. And I, I just, I can't, I can't spend that kind of money on anything like that. I mean, it, it just can't. I just can't. Men with no merit or work ethic lean left, but there's men with merit, work ethic, and good looks, me and Steph, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, but, but to be honest, I get more money out of the free market than I would out of welfare. I mean, that's all the equation is, right? I mean, there's lots of ethics and abstractions and so on, but I get, like a single mom gets more money out of the welfare state than they do out of the free market. I get more money out of the free market than I do out of the welfare state. Now, there's morals about it, you know, the, the welfare is forced redistribution of wealth and thou shalt not steal and taxation is theft. I get all of that. But, you know, when it comes to people pretending all of this virtue and, oh, you know, we just got to take care of people. It's like, yeah, you want free stuff. I get it. And I want, I'll get more out of the free market than I will out of the welfare state. So I don't want the welfare state. I mean, it, it, there is the abstract morals and then there's just that base thing. And people just can't be honest about that stuff. You know, single mom votes for Democrats. It's like, well, she either chose a bad husband or she drove away a good husband. She either chose a shitty dad for her kids or she had a good dad. She drove him away. So, yeah, she wants free stuff. And we can cloak it all in this. Oh, care for the poor. Now you want free stuff. You want free stuff. And I want freedom because I'll make more money. So. Ah, when do you think American society is going to get over the self-guilt of racism? So white countries are not racist. Uh, of, they've, they've done surveys in all the countries. There's like one white country in the top 20. White countries are not racist. Uh, it's not self-guilt. It's just inflicted. It's just continually inflicted, right? Because let's say there's some single mom, right? A single mom, she had a, a kid with a trashy guy who took off, right? And apparently, according to the modern world, she's not responsible for that at all. Not responsible at all for the fact that she chose a shitty guy to have a kid with, right? She's not responsible, not responsible at all. However, her kid 
is responsible for slavery 150 years ago. <laughs> it's insane. It's absolutely mad, deranged beyond words that we have people who are not at all responsible for the choices they themselves make in this life, but their kids are responsible for decisions made by a tiny minority of people 150 years ago. It's like, you know, 4% of white people owned slaves, right? So it was like not a thing. It was not a thing. In fact, white people and most workers, they hated slavery because it drove down wages and they would often get conscripted into being these slave catchers, right? Where they'd be forced to go on and slave hunting. They don't want to do that. It's like it's January in, in Georgia. You don't want to be doing that, right? So uh, there's no there's no guilt about that, right? It's just inflicted, right? It's just inflicted. I mean, if, if you hadn't heard about original sin and Adam and Eve, and would you sit there and say, well, you know, my ancestors disobeyed uh, God in a garden, and therefore I'm a bad person. You have to have that stuff drilled into your head. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. 80% of women are overweight. 60% of those women are obese. A lot of these women wear shower bonnets in public. Well, yeah, but of course they can afford to be obese because they don't have to keep a husband because they can get their money from the state. They can get their money by voting. So they don't need to keep their weight down because that's one of the reasons you keep your weight down is you care about your partner. Like, I don't want to gain weight because I don't want to be unattractive to my wife, right? Because, you know, that's not, that's not very loving, right? So, yeah, the weight issue, I mean, partly it's an IQ issue, partly it's a, a, a racial issue. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of it's just, you know, you get the welfare state and, and women don't have to keep a man happy and, uh, other than a politician or whatever, right? Steph, in the comments section of Pink Floyd, the trial, some people are saying that tearing down the wall is a necessary evil. Is there truth in that? Um, the wall between you and other people? You need a wall, but you need a door, right? You, you can't just have a wall and nobody gets in. But you also can't just open yourself to the entire planet because you'll get the living shit exploited out of you. People just pillage you for resources, right? So do you, do you want to be charitable and help people in this world? Absolutely. Do you want to just hand out money like crazy to everyone and end up broke? No. It doesn't do actually people uh, good. I, I've sent money to listeners, and, and they've just completely blown it. I've sent other money to people, and, and they've used it for therapy and, and fixed their lives. So uh, you've got to be careful. You've got to have a wall between you and the world, but you've got to have a door that people get in, right? than the right people, but you got to have guards at the door to make sure bad people don't get in. So, I take an ugly girl that's got a nice figure and well-kept. Yeah, of course, of course. And you don't want to call a woman ugly for things beyond her control, right? I mean, to me, ugly has to largely overlap with things beyond that's part of your control, right? Because then you are giving her a negative term for something that she's not responsible for, which is, you know, again, it may not be your taste or whatever. It's just a, a niceness, politeness thing, whatever. Right? Somebody says, I left my mother 12 years ago. About 10 years ago, stopped alcohol. Wait, she or you stopped alcohol? I wonder if she was the cause. Oh, you stopped alcohol. Yeah, probably was, right? So let's see here. <laughs> Volsos is supposed to be reliable. Yeah, it was okay. It was okay. I got, yeah, it didn't last as long as I, I wanted it to. It wasn't kind of the brick that I was hoping. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think when I got rid of that thing seven or eight years ago. I got, I don't know, got quite a number of years out of it, but it didn't go that, that far. Right? 
Well, Elon Musk didn't even when he made money, bought a really expensive car and totaled it, right? Steph got Lightning McQueen. <laughs> My daughter loved that movie when she was younger. She also referred to it as Lightning to Queen. And she would always, always, always tell me, be Mater, be Mater, because I do a pretty mean Southern accent. I could do Mater pretty well. All right. Uh, let's see here. And Biden keeps feeding the race card. Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My mom picked a shitty guy and drove him away. Oh, man, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Let's see here. Was Alex Jones in a strip club? Did I see that somewhere? Oh, well, he's a single guy, but it's kind of gross. All right, any last? Sorry, I was thinking we'd do a chat, but the questions have been so good, so I haven't. And uh, yeah, do you guys like the new sound? New mic, baby, and a new amp. This is why I have to use Zoom, because Zoom is the only program that recognizes this amp that does live streaming. Like Audacity recognizes it, Windows recognizes this new amp, but OBS it doesn't, XSplit doesn't, um, and online things don't, um, and all of that. So I hope you like the new mic, um, but uh, I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. So I remember a CNN article a few years ago saying being a cuck is good. Well, sure, because being a cuck is good for depopulation, right? See, the elites just want the smart people to go away because we can't interfere with what they want to do, right? The dumb people, you can just buy them off and bribe them off and all that. So, you know, the elites have a problem with alphas and, and smart people, which is one of the reasons why COVID targets alphas, right? And uh, COVID is also a bit anti-white, too, because it hits older people. And it's anti-white and anti-Japanese, I suppose, because uh, uh, Japanese people are pretty old and the boomers are pretty old and all that. So how can a society survive if the smart, hard workers get penalized and the lazy get rewarded? Well, it's not a society if that's occurring. It's just a Nietzschean will-to-power war of all against all. Great show. Sounds great. Looks great. Thank you. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, I was going to get to this, but you all are too fascinating for me to have gotten to it. Um, uh, I just will make this music recommendation. Go look up Coming Back to Life by Pink Floyd. Live Pulse was the album. I remember I bought it back in the CD days, and it actually had a little red light that pulsed. It was great. Why did Ireland flip so quickly from socially conservative to social justice warrior cuckoo land? Well, because it was targeted by the Soros crew and, and you know, they lost control of their media and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Sympathies. If you guys wanted to say something to, uh, remember Dr. Paul Cottrell has been on my show a bunch of times. Uh, if you wanted to send him uh, a message, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, his father's in the hospital and uh, it's a pretty tough time for him. So if you wouldn't mind that. Uh, the email specifically for call-in, call-in at freedomain.com. Call-in at freedomain.com uh, would be uh, the way to go. I missed half of this. Put it out ASAP. Okay, so listen, guys. Guys, guys, guys. Uh, if you want to get the shows like boom, 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 bingo, bango, bongo, if you want to get the shows right away, you can go to freedomain.locals.com. You can sign up there. I'll sometimes put it out just for subscribers because, you know, man's got to eat. But sometimes I'll put it out for everyone. Freedomain.locals.com. You can join for free and you'll get notifications of the shows that I'll, I'll put those out. And there's a whole bunch of shows there that haven't even made it to the stream, uh, the main stream of the show as a whole. So uh, I find myself extremely reluctant to approach women after over 100 failed experiments. Only one was successful. Uh, so the reason you're doing that is because somebody wants you to fail. Probably your mom, maybe your dad. Somebody wants you to fail. And so they haven't taught you how to figure out if a woman wants you to approach her. 
a woman will give you a sign if she's interested. And women will make that decision within about 15 seconds of seeing you, whether you like it or not. Women will make the decision as to whether they want you to approach them within 10 or 15 seconds max of them seeing you. And so unfortunately, it's like you're playing tennis blind saying, well, I'm missing all these shots. That's really depressing. Well, you've got to take off the blindfold. You've got to learn a little bit <clears throat> about how women signal that they're interested uh, in you. You know, a smile, a hair toss, uh, leaning in a little bit, maybe touching your forearm, whatever it's going to be. Like there's body uh, language signals that women put out that they're interested or at least open or potentially receptive to, um, to you. And you're just not reading those signals, which means people have fed you to the wolves, right? You're either aiming too high, you're aiming at the wrong kind of person, you're aiming without establishing any kind of charisma connection ahead of time. You're also maybe not, you got to be on display. You're out, I mean, I was a single guy for a long time and you got to be on display. You got to look fairly snappy. You got to smile. You got to have a spring in your step. You got to have a good story or two. You've got to have maybe some success uh, in your life and all of that. So yeah. And, and if you had a single mom, oh my God. See, here's the thing. I'll just, I'll close on this, right? Single moms, <laughs> oh God, they're so terrible. With, with sons, uh, sorry, to the person, just to make sure it's uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's like a job interview that lasts all night. Yeah, that's right. It's an old Seinfeld thing, right? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd have to stick Hex and Hammer. I, I've always liked him. He's, he's a cool guy. He's a cool guy. Uh, he's, uh, he's neat. I like him a lot. He's a smart guy, too, and he, he, hard, he works hard. He works hard. Let me just go back up here. Uh, sorry. Um, oh yeah. Sorry. Axwell May, the single mom. Axwell May, can you just hit me with a Y if you got got yourself a single mom? Were you a, or did you have not much contact with your dad? Did you not uh, have a dad around too much or anything like that? Hello. Come on, baby. Hit me with a Y, or I'm just gonna assume you did. Oh no, you your dad was around. Your dad. Okay, just give me a type of quick sentence about your dad, if you don't mind. He was around, yes. Um, did did he teach you at all uh, anything about women, how to ask women out, and so on? Uh, sorry, there's other questions, other things coming in here. So, I mean, why is he helping? Why isn't he helping you with your troubles with women, right? If you keep going out to ask, I mean, your dad, being your dad, obviously had something successful, right? Go to college, go to church was basically his advice. Okay, so he's not helping you. He's not, you're not close with him, right? Because if he was close to you, then he would be sitting there saying, okay, well, my son is not succeeding with women. And, you know, each failure makes it a little tougher next time around for some people. So your father should be sitting here helping you. The fact that you're typing it here means that he's not helping with you. He's not close to you. He's not giving you that kind of uh, uh, feedback, right? Steph should do a demo video where he goes out and <laughs> flirts with random women. Yeah, yeah, I'll be run, I'll be run that past my wife. I'm sure that'll be happening imminently. Um, how tall are you? Uh, it's not, not the only thing, right? So... Uh, women, single moms as a whole, just for those, I know this is not the case with this. Single single moms won't tell you anything about women because they'll they'll they'll, they'll tell you, oh, be a gentleman and te treat women with respect and defer to them and pay for them and put them on a pedestal and worship them as goddesses. And then the single 
moms will go out and just sleep with the trashiest guys around. So it's really confusing. <laughs> it's really, they've got this sentimental view of the relationships and so on, right? So Trump said Bitcoin is a fraud. Did he say it to buy some for cheap after or because they plan to ban it? Uh, so, yeah, Trump said Bitcoin is a fraud. Didn't Trump raise like $500 million to fight election fraud? Didn't, didn't Trump and Kushner ride? Was it, was it that much? A couple of hundred million dollars they put out all that. And we're going to fight election fraud. We're going to spend your money to fight the election fraud that they perceived as happening November 3rd, 2020. They're fighting the election fraud. Quick question. A anybody have a fucking clue what happened to all of that money? That's, that's a lot of money, man. <laughs> It's a lot of money, and I don't really think that they did a whole lot to fight election fraud, did they? So, uh, you know, if, if Bitcoin is a fraud to Trump, I don't know. And isn't Trump saying he's going to be president again? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've lost track of, of this. Uh, I've lost stress. I love your dream analysis. Have you had any interesting dreams lately? No. Uh, I mean, I've had a couple. I don't really remember too much, but um, I will keep... I would keep my thoughts. I do miss those dream analyses. We used to do those on the show back in the day when things were a little less uh, hysterical uh, than they are now. So, All right. Um, check out what oil futures did after November 3rd. Yeah, it's funny how people will... They prefer a world without slightly disrespectful treats, uh, tweets, uh, but willing to spend 80 bucks to fill up their gas tank. Anyway, it's crazy. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Look at that. We made it to two hours-ish. Thanks, everyone, so much for a wonderful evening of conversation. And uh, we will uh, we'll get back into the chat stuff. Uh, I'll be around Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You have a pleasant voice. No homo. Well, that's a funny thing because I did almost two years of theater school. We did voice classes every day. So I think I kind of know how to use it. And I do have a bit of a pleasant voice. So that's a, that's a good thing. Thanks, everyone, so much. A great pleasure to chat with you. Have a great evening. Lots of love from here. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Check out my documentaries on the website. Freedomain.com slash almost. Get your free audiobook. It is great. Just give it a try. I am begging you, begging you to give it a try. I think you will really, really love it. And um, freedomain.com forward slash donate to, uh, to help out the show. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. All right. We are done like dinner, and uh, I will uh, close it off gracefully without stopping myself in mid-sentence. <laughs> mid-sentence. Take care, guys. Bye.